You're listening to the Guildhall School Events Podcast, where today we're talking to cast and crew of Lulu, our third and final drama production for the autumn 2015 term. I'm very pleased to welcome sound designer Erin Witten, production manager Oliver Levitt, cast members Claudia Jolly and Michael Levi Harris. Vedekind described his 1894 play as a monster tragedy, and we present Nicholas Wright's thrilling and explicit version of the original text with five actresses sharing the role of Lulu in a kaleidoscopic journey of sex and death through Germany, Paris and London. That sounds quite interesting, <laughs> doesn't it? A kaleidoscopic journey of sex and death. For a drama school, is it quite risque? What's, uh, what, what's going on in the play? Who's Lulu and what, what's, she, what's she all about? Claudia, you're one of the Lulus, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, I am. So can you tell us a bit more about this? Well, it's interesting because it is... The themes are quite explicit and the relationship that Lulu has with a lot of the male characters, you can tell there is something very explicit about it. But actually in the play, there's no, you don't see any sex sort of right in front of you, which is actually quite good. But it's been very much sort of down to us as actors to interpret sort of how far we take that, which is good because there's a freedom in that. And actually, you can't deny that all these characters within the play are sexually charged and that seems to be one of the major things that's driving them especially because Lulu is sort of the the embodiment of all these male fantasies and she's very good at changing dependent on who she's dealing with and fulfilling their fantasy and yet still being a bit of an enigma at the same time which is probably what makes her so appealing to all these men Um, but yeah it's just it's, it's very much sort of surrounded by... It's all about sex, really. And and you were saying earlier, weren't you, with, with Michael, that um, <clears throat> when, you, when you mention the word die, it could be easily replaced with the word sex. Is that right? Well, to, yeah, to orgasm. Yeah, because there's a, there's a line one of, one of the characters says to Lulu when he's threatening her and trying to send her to a brothel. He says you can die five times a day on silk sheets or you can die once on the block in a German prison. So, and, and you were saying and, in yeah, French... There's, an, there's another character who says, um, I, I die for you, Maman, when they realise that they're destitute and the mother is trying to figure out how they're going to survive and, and the daughter says, I'd do anything for you, Maman, I'd die for you. And then the next, the mother's next thought is, is right. Who could we? Who could I sell you to? Who could I pimp you out to? And so there's a lot of um, crossover between sex and death. And then there is there are quite a bit of there's a, there are a few scenes that suggest that something violent during something sexual as well. So that even in my I play Doctor Schoening, and in the um, in the third act just sort of the climax of my my part um, <laughs> so to speak yeah, I, um, I, I go in with a gun and to, and I point it at Lulu and we, we kind of have this whole scene around a gun where I'm alleging that I want her to shoot herself and uh, and I think that she th- is she reacts to it as if it w- were a game one of our sort of sexual games and and then every time somebody, one of another character dies in the play, her reaction to it is always very odd. Um, she seems to be really curious and sort of get some bizarre sexual excitement out of it. Because Lulu as a character, I think there's very little she hasn't experienced sexually. But death 
is sort of this thing that she hasn't touched and I think she's so curious about and and when people die her reaction is almost pleasurable in a bizarre way I'm not sure she necessarily completely understands it but it's not the typical horror you might think I mean that does come later perhaps but in the moment in the present at that time there's almost a euphoria to it that she experiences how do you how do you work with the the four other girls that are playing Lily? Well, we've all been present in all the rehearsals, pretty much. She's a very interesting character, and I think she lends herself to this sort of division within a play because she has a different name in every act, pretty much, based on the lover or the husband she's with at the time. She does change for people, and yet at the same time, she says that she's never changed. So it's quite difficult because... As an actress, you want to be consistent. You want the character to be consistent in some way across all the five actresses. And yet Lulu is a character just... She changes so much between each act. So you've just got to be kind of true to what's happening to her as a character in that moment, in that situation. Um, And we talk a lot between us about certain things that happen because that will obviously have a knock-on effect in the later acts if you make a bold decision about something that happens to her which you can, you know, you can justify in the text, but um, it could have a huge implication on the person who's playing Lulu three acts later or something like that. Um, So it's a a really interesting challenge. It's difficult, but I think it works with Lulu because of the nature of her character. It also, not only does it work, because I think she's she's such a chameleon as uh, as a character, Lulu. I mean, even in her, the way that she's earned her living and survived is by for her whole life has been, you know, by adapting to who being whatever it is the, you know, the person who's with her wants or needs. And so she's very able to just turn like that. It reminds me of um, in the movie Pretty Woman, you know, when he, when Julia Roberts first meets Richard Gere and, and he asks her her name and she says, what do you want it to be? <laughs> you know, and, it, and yeah. Lulu's kind of like that, I think. Um, she just and, and therefore it really works that they're, that it's that each act is played by a different um, actress because uh, because she's in vastly different circumstances in each act and she's interacting with different people and then it's kind of a blessing for the people that are playing opposite Lulu. So, for example, I, I'm in three acts and I have a different Lulu for each one, which is really helpful because in each in each act, my own character changes a lot because of the circumstances. Um, of of what happens and and also because of what Lulu does and and uh, and you know there's well it's, it's sort of vague how much time passes between each act but it's a sufficient amount of time and a lot happens but for the actors it's literally you know the, the, I think well we haven't teched yet but I think something will like the lights will go out there'll be a couple of uh, pieces of furniture moved and then you know thirty seconds later a year has passed and everything is totally different and you just you have to immediately adapt to that, and um, it's quite nice to have a different a different actress to work off of. And at the same time, I think they all do an amazing job of finding some common thread, so that I don't I never feel like I'm like it's a different character. I just feel the change in the circumstance, and I think that's a testament to to Whoopi and Claudia and Leonie, who are the three Lulus that I 
interact with. Well, I'm glad you mentioned tech because we do have two, uh, two of the technical team um, with us today, Erin and Oliver. Um, and so how does that impact on what, what you guys have done? I know, Oliver, you're the production manager. Are you involved in that sort of changeover or what, what, what are your roles on, on the play? So, yeah, so I'm involved right from the very start. I manage the, all the production teams and all the different departments from the very beginning, from working out um, whether the play is viable to stage and how big the set is and whether we can actually put it on with the money that we've got and that leads on to then allocating budgets and that sort of thing. Um, but then when we get into tech, I sort of oversee what goes on on stage alongside the stage manager once we're in tech. Before tech, the stage is very much mine and I make sure that this, like the schedule goes to plan fitting out, which we are doing at the moment while we've just finished. Well, almost finished. So if it's running late, it's your fault. Basically, yeah. <laughs> and then I give it to the stage managers and, and during tech, who will then take over. Um, and we will just see how it goes during tech, whether what roles people need to play and that sort of thing. So, um, so during the actual run, um, what 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 do you do? Are you, are you all done then, or do you sort of help out doing some pieces? Depends. Or? Uh, normally, the the production manager will try their utmost best to not have a show role, <laughs> um, but I just do do still have to um, be around, um, make sure that like because I'm in charge of all the health and safety aspects of that, so make sure that everything is right to start when we we come in at the beginning of the day, and then I will stay for most of the show just to make sure nothing drastically goes wrong. Um, <laughs> which it never normally does. No, of course it doesn't. No, not on a Guildhall production. No, <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. Um, and Erin, you're the sound designer. Yes. Um, for not not the first time on a Guildhall ticketed production. No. Um, because you were doing it back in your way back last year in your second year. Yeah, way back. You know, is it still set in, at the end of the 19th century? And how does that impact on your your sound design for it? Well, I'm going to say it is still set at the end of the 19th century. Looking for confirmation? Yes, everyone's, it is. Everyone's nodding. Because <laughs> that was what I got from rehearsals. But, um, you know, these things these things tend to change without me finding out. So <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to be sure that I wasn't setting you all up for that and you come see a contemporary drama. It's like a soap opera or something. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of sound design, um, not so much on this play. Like with Burnt by the Sun, um, which was the show I'd done last year, um, it was very sound effect heavy and it kind of relied on sound a lot to set the scenes up and to sort of bring out moments for the characters um, like planes going overhead and stuff like that so the actors very much interacted with sound uh, this is a little bit different in that we've got a live band on stage so it's a very different sort of design in that a lot of my attention is focused on how the music sounds in the space as opposed to what sound effects are in the production. Obviously, that's still part of it. But So in terms of its time period, um, I did do a bit of research about, you know, like doorbells and things like that, and guns, uh, to what sort of guns they would have had and stuff like that. But it it isn't relevant now because the door knocks and things like that, the gun is still, it's still me. But the door knocks and things are, have been taken over by the band, so. So you so you had to you had to find a, a, a sample of a of a gun that was produced in the late nineteenth century. Uh, no. no, no, just like, <laughs> that's the thing. What's interesting about working with a director 
and sound effects is that often you'll go, okay, so these are the sort of guns they had. This is the sort of gun it looks like you've got on stage. This is the effect that would correlate with that. But what they want is actually a scary bang. So it doesn't matter. It well, it might do to some people, but it's more about picking an effect that's appropriate for the audience's reaction. So, you know, a gunshot sound that will scare people and make them think it's a gun, as opposed to, oh, that's a 500 millimeter revolver or whatever it is that they're using. <laughs> so, because they don't really... No, no one's going no no to haul you up, are they? No, uh, no unless there are some, like, yeah, you know... That's a cowboy in the audience or something. <laughs> no, 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 no one really... No. And they I go, hmm, that's, really cares, that's so. not a, an 1893 uh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they write into us to complain. Yeah, well, someone probably will. Someone probably but will. But you, you say that, but I feel like the research that you did yeah. is definitely useful because, for example, you... It, I mean, I totally get what you're saying, but I think that if they're... I'm, I'm just thinking of that sound that cause somebody, when someone said cowboy and, like, in westerns, there there is a very distinctive sound that kind of... It's like a ping, and, and it, it, there, there's, like, a kind of an echo to it yeah. that sounds very much like... I don't know if it's a rifle or something that it just would be very unfitting if it, if that were the sound. Well, there are like two different gun gun sounds in uh, Western movies, aren't there? Yeah. <laughs> they just use the same ones every, no, right, every time, no matter how far away they are. They, just, they, they always sound, sound the same. same yeah. <laughs> but, no, right. but I feel like yeah. that, that have it's. I mean, it's similar to the actor's work that like sometimes the research that you do ends up kind of it doesn't matter ostensibly because yeah. you don't you know, something won't make a difference. But actually, if you hadn't done it and you didn't, you know, know better, you might, you, you could, so, and, and nobody stopped you, you could end up using something that, that might jolt people and be like, Wait, that, that gun sounded like it, it, it <laughs> went from one side of Salt Street to the other when actually went up in the air or yeah. whatever. I don't know. I mean, yeah, there is, I think all, you're right, all research is, is valid. Like, um, obviously there's a composer on this show. So, um, He's written a lot of the music, but most of my research for the design of Lulu was um, based on... I start My starting point was that, obviously, I think the story also inspired an opera um, by... Hmm, I'm going to start talking about music now. Alban Berg, I think. And um, his opera had quite a lot of tonal work in it, so sort of... Um, yeah, I'm not going to get into the details. What does tonal work mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, some of the characters... Um, I hope I'm right. Some of the characters had, like, their own tone rows sort of associated with them during the opera and stuff like that. So m- my initial sort of approach was to um, to work on finding sort of an atonal sort of weird sound, and um, which was also Alex, the composer's, it was also his approach in a way I think I won't start talking about his work either because I'll be wrong but um it's yeah even though I haven't used a lot of that it has informed the bits that I have done and have it's brought my work and Alex's work into the same sort of realm and the 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 musicians on stage yeah Guildhall musicians of course of course Free labour. Is it free labour? <laughs> can't afford to get anyone else. No. Um, <laughs> and they're, they're better. Than of course the, they than are. The yeah. And is it is it a big band or a small band? And what, what sort of setup have they got? It's six piece, six off. Yeah, six piece band. Uh, there's a piano, um, percussion, f- 
Clarinet. You're counting. Don't count. <laughs> Clarinet. Um, viola. Flute. Yeah, viola, flute, um, trumpet, and the clarinetist also plays the sax. Mm-hmm. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Great. And the composer is also on the composition course. Yes, he's on the, Alex Hall is on the composition course. Yeah. Great, great, fantastic. I love this collaboration between all the all the different students and the, the music getting involved in the drama as mm. well because yeah, it's yeah. easy to keep those separate but it's nice to see them all, all together. Um, now Christian Burgess is directing and we should mention him because he's not here to defend himself <laughs> um, and I don't know whether he listens to these podcasts or not but um, <laughs> as I was saying earlier I sort of always get slightly overawed by his presence um, so whether I'd be the same person um, on this podcast I don't no. <laughs> what's it like working with him as, as a director I really like working with him he's very honest about the fact that he doesn't necessarily know what the play is and he has as many questions as we do at the beginning of rehearsal which is great because it kind of throws everything up in the air and we kind of all work together to figure stuff out and anything goes really in the rehearsal room which is a great space to kind of exist in as an actor yeah and he's really open to ideas and it, it's, it always feels very collaborative with him um, and of course sometimes you, you know you toe the line because because uh, if you sort of throw in an idea or interrupt at the mm-hmm. wrong moment and you know it, it might not go over well but um, but then you know at least 50% of the time he loves an idea that you said or and also I, something I really like Work, about working with him is he loves um, he loves when people mess up so mm. so that's that good cruel no no, no, no the best no. way it, he celebrates it, it yeah it, it's good mm. because it means that we are really free to take risks and to uh, try things and um, and not you know if you're if you're if you're worried about upsetting the director or having the director you know go like make a gesture or you know pat his his thighs with his hands or whatever in frustration every time you you know say a word wrong or something it, it will make your performance very kind of clean and in this little box instead of and um and and he's just not like that at all so you can absolutely i mean within reason of course but but you're just free to to do anything and and then what's really nice is sometimes something brilliant comes out of the out of the mistake you know, somebody falls over, and and it it, it just su- suddenly loosens up the rest of the scene, and people, as they're trying to get through it without laughing, they you know they um they they just do things with their voice that they wouldn't do if they were in a very kind of uh, thinking in a in this linear fashion, and um, so we've had a lot of good things come out of it, mm-hmm. and also he's up for changing things. I mean, he'll he'll direct something one way. And you'll do it a few times, and then you know we might feel like Claudia and I did this in a scene where we we, we were sort of doing the same thing a lot, and we said, "Oh, just it's very stale, and we need to try something totally different." And we worked on it by ourselves, and we just came in and did it completely differently to how we'd done it before. And he loved it, and and wanted us to build on that, and um, so that I really enjoy that and it and i think it makes the whole piece and everybody's work much stronger brilliant well um i think we've probably um talked enough uh, <laughs> about uh, about lulu uh, it just remains for me to say thank you so much for coming and giving your time your your lunch break um and uh, good luck for the for the show thank you thank Thanks. you
Thanks for listening to another Guildhall School Events podcast. Lulu opens on the 27th of November 2015 in the Silk Street Theatre and tickets are available from the Barbican box office in person, over the phone and online at gsmd.ac.uk.